This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 665 with Amanda Kingsley. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 665. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Amanda Kingsley is a certified life coach and doula and the host of the Speaking Light Into Abortion podcast. After her own unanticipated abortion as a mother of three, she recognized the need for a wider conversation around mental health and the complex emotional landscape of life after abortion. She reminds her audience that it's okay to feel all the feelings after abortion and that we can honor our decisions by living the life we made our choice for. Amanda and I set out to have this conversation in November of 2021, but a series of life events kept pushing out our recording date. How serendipitous that we would end up recording this just days after Roe versus Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court. I'll be honest, it was hard to have this conversation because we both felt like we were still processing and we just didn't know quite how to feel. We were still definitely like in a state of all the feels like rage and like disbelief, but also total belief that this would happen and all sorts of things. We were trying to also navigate like, what does this mean for us? What does this mean with our mission? How do we keep going when we feel so distraught? How do we keep showing up as citizens, as women, as moms? But this conversation has never been more crucial. And so I'm so glad that we were able to have it, even though we both were a little like, how are we going to do this? (laughs) So I'm incredibly grateful to Amanda for showing up and speaking in the middle of this devastating season. Listening to hear Amanda share the story of her abortion when she was already a mother of three myths and truths, and things we often don't consider about abortion, some of the privileges she carried during her abortion experience, permission to hold joy and pain simultaneously when enduring hard times, what she learned about abortion that she could only learn by going through it herself, the unexpected expansiveness that came out of her abortion experience, how she realized that 60 to 65% of women who have had abortions are already moms and the anger that that statistic brought her, and who we think should be speaking up on abortion right now. 
Oh my goodness, this is a heavy and hard conversation, but a really, really important one. So thank you for being here. Thank you for participating in this conversation. If you didn't listen to episode 664 around how to stay in the conversation for the long haul when it comes to advocacy and activism, please also listen to that one because these two conversations uh, in conjunction with each other, I think really help us see how we can keep moving forward, how we can use our rage as fuel and how we can really continue to show up even when times are continue to be really devastating and really, really difficult. So thank you for being here. And with all that, let's go ahead and welcome Amanda Kingsley to the Shameless Mom Academy. Amanda, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. Oh, I'm so grateful to have you here today. We're here. We made it. This has been a long time coming and it's very timely and I'm grateful to be here. Yeah. It's so interesting how timing works out. We, we've been trying to make this conversation happen. You pointed out in our pre-interview since November. And it's a conversation I've been wanting to have for a couple of years on the show. And it could not be more timely that we're recording this. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 28th. It'll go live. We're going to rush it to get it out as quickly as we can next week. And I feel like the universe had our back in this moment. <laughs> I know like part of me is like, oh, this timing is perfect. I have so much to say. And part of me is like, oh, I'm a, still a little bit paralyzed. So hopefully I yeah. speak in a way that makes sense, but I believe in timing and I yeah. think it's going to be perfect. I also think that it's okay to be <laughs> wherever you're at. And so you are, yeah. you know, this conversation that we're going to have around abortion is relevant to your work that you do, but it's also relevant to your own personal story. And so there's these layers where I'm just filled with like righteous rage. You have layers of connection to this because of the way it impacts you personally and professionally. That's really different than me. So I just want to say that it's okay to be wherever you are for you, for everywhere, everyone listening for me, we're all processing in different ways. And some of us are processing, like getting out there yelling and screaming and others are like, I just need a minute. I'm grieving. I'm in shock. And yeah. So wherever people are at, that's okay. And I'm so excited for people to excited. Seems like the wrong word eager for people to listen <laughs> it's to this conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. So can you tell us, I always open with this question and it seems like a weird one right now, but we're still going to use it. So tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. And again, excited feels yeah. like a weird word, but we're going to go with it. <laughs> We are. And I actually think it's really relevant to the conversation because I think one of the challenges in talking about abortion is that we have all these like imaginary scenarios in our head about who gets abortions. And so my personal life is very relevant. I'm a mom. I married my high school sweetheart. Like we've been together 25 years or something. We have three kids. They're all planned. All of my pregnancies were planned until my unplanned pregnancy I live in like the cutest ever little village in Western Massachusetts. I grew up in the next town over. My dad actually got up in the middle of the night at 2.30 in the morning to drive my teenager to the airport two and a half hours away Mm -hmm. to fly to California for her first flight ever. Actually, she just texted, I landed right before our call. And I was like, okay, we're good. Um, But he took my eight-year-old with him and they're going to go to the beach after like my life is, it's really beautiful. After this call, I'm going to pack the car and go camping for one night at my favorite campground on a lake and we're going to paddleboard. And yeah, I mean, I'm just a regular person living in a little country town. I don't live in a city. I'm very much a mom. I'm a passionate person like passionate doer and mm-hmm. purpose-driven person. So I think that answered your yes. question. Yes. To, how My house kids? is messy and I drink lots of coffee and it's good over here, even in all the bad. <laughs> oh my goodness. And how old are your daughters? Yeah. Good question. My daughter just graduated high school. Mm-hmm. So she's 17. That was her you know, she's on this like flight as a new adult graduated high school, but technically she's still a minor. So it's like (laughs) kind of a a roller coaster. And my next daughter is 15. And then my son is eight. So, you know, they were more like his age when I had my abortion. So they've been following this journey 
with me. And it's very much a part of our family conversation. So yeah, they're an important part of my work. So this is already so juicy in such a way that is so affirming. I would imagine to so many people listening, but just what I love is that you not only have immediately let us dig right into your personal story, (laughs) but you also have created this sense of what we can hear. uh, I can hear the sense of normalcy that you've created around talking about abortion with your family and talking about that. This is something that does. It's not, I think that we, I have this view of abortion having to be this deeply isolating, secretive, lonely experience. And you are already shining this light on it as something that your family went through versus this deep, dark secret that you went through. Can you go ahead and tell us the story around your abortion, which I think will just shed some more light on that. Yeah. And I just want to say it felt deeply isolating and lonely Mm. when, and I'll tell my story when I was in the thick of it and that was not okay for me. I was like, this is not okay. (laughs) This is what happened is I had my own abortion and felt like I fell into this gigantic hole of what was missing in the world. Like who is talking about this in a Mm. way that makes sense to my life and my feelings. So we'll keep talking about that, but I just want to say like for anyone listening who feels like, I don't know how she talks about it like this. I don't know how she's like experiencing joy and pain in this one conversation because there will probably be tears. I used to feel deeply isolated and alone. And I just made a decision not to tolerate that and to figure it out and then to be a voice of light for other people. So you can come on this side too with me if that's where you're at. You don't have to, but you can. It wasn't like I had my abortion and I was like, yay me, I'm a free woman. Like it it sucked. So that's my story. Like I said, I have had five pregnancies. Three are living children. One was a miscarriage. And this unexpected pregnancy, it's like, I sometimes hesitate to say even how I got pregnant because I don't want it. You know, it feels like I'm defending myself. Like I was on birth control (laughs) and it doesn't matter. Like it really Mm -hmm. doesn't matter how my unplanned pregnancy happened. But I think a lot of us can relate, especially mothers who, In my case, I knew I was done having kids and I had my second IUD in place and it fell out and I didn't know it fell out. So I found myself at age 38 with my first three kids. We were, my youngest was three, I think. And so we were just out of like the thick of the baby cave, right? Mm -hmm. Like we were just through that part and we knew we were done. And it's funny, like some of the things you learn along the way is like, I could say my birth control failed, but it didn't really fail. I was just in the percentage that I hoped I wouldn't land in, right? Like it's a very small percentage of people that birth control methods don't work for. Mm -hmm. And it didn't necessarily fail. I just landed in the the wrong side of the statistic. Yeah. So it came as a pretty big surprise. We both kind of were in denial and kind of looked at each other and said, I think this might be a pregnancy. Like Mm. something's not right. We actually took our first test. I took the first test and it was negative. And we were like, whew, that was a little crazy, but phew, we're not pregnant. We don't have to have an abortion because we had Mm -hmm. kind of like already established, like if we're pregnant, we do not want to do this again. Yeah. I went out, I went to a concert that night and had one drink. And I was like, that test is wrong. There's no way I'm not pregnant. (laughs) Mm. And so I woke up the next morning and it was a really interesting part of the story because when I took the second, third and fourth pregnancy tests that were positive, we had already looked at each other after the negative test and said, phew, like, I'm so glad we don't have to have an abortion. I don't know if we, I could have done it. You know, we went into the like suspected pregnancy. Like if we're pregnant, we will abort. Mm -hmm. And then in that time, both of us were independently, like, I don't know if I can do this. This is, this is hard. And so we had this wave of relief, like we don't have to do it. And then, you know, 12 hours later, we had already confided in each other that it was hard. 
it wasn't easy for either of us to say, we know what we have to do. Let's just go do it and move on with our lives. But we both were on the same page, which makes our story, you know, our abortion has brought us a lot closer together. We're in our mid forties. And like I said, we met in high school. So we've done a lot of growing together, but abortion definitely brought us closer together because we work at it. And because I think it's hard when people go through it as a couple and they're not on the same page. Um, Oh yeah. I can't imagine. Quickly in my story, I came from a world of doula and birth work. I went to midwifery school. So I had loads of friends, like all the top contacts in my phones were doulas and midwives and obstetricians. Mm. So on Saturday morning, I texted my OB like, help, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm in big trouble. So my stories has a lot of privilege in it, right? Like I was in a marriage, I was on the same page. I was able to get care through my obstetrician and I didn't have to go to a clinic, but it was so eye-opening. I, even with all that history around women's health and the reproductive world, I remember looking at the test and thinking, I don't even know where I have to go to get an abortion. Like how far do I have to drive? Are there going to be protesters? Do I have to pay for this? Like, I had no idea. It was just one of those boxes I checked. Like, I'm pro-choice. Moving on. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't really mm-hmm. understand what it was until I went through it. So I was also in the 1% of people who had care through their regular care providers. Like, most people get abortion care through clinics, Planned Parenthoods, independent clinics, online Going to an unfamiliar, an unfamiliar yeah. source, which is like a totally yeah. different kind of care. Yeah. And I got to just go to my regular office and I, I wasn't sent anywhere, which for me, again, it's a huge privilege and mm-hmm. such a comfort to not have to yeah. face additional stressors. I just recorded a podcast with a doctor who gave some insight into like why obstetricians and women's health, like offices, regular OBGYN offices refer out. And, you know, I see benefits to both sides, like abortion clinics and Planned Parenthoods, all of their staff is very skilled and Mm -hmm. prepared to talk about all the pieces of abortion. Whereas a regular health office, there's like so many layers of people you have to go through to say, and we all know what it's like to call your medical doctor. Like, what's your name? Why are you calling? What's your name? Why are you calling? So Mm -hmm. to say like, And you don't know, like they haven't chosen to work in abortion care, but also I think it sends such a message when we can't go to the people we already trust to get the care we need. It's deeply problematic. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners 
listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Yeah, that's so interesting because when you were talking about those first steps that you took, like texting your OB, and I was thinking, I feel like I would have to Google like, where yeah. to get an abortion. And I mean, I would contact my doctor first as well, but I'm thinking yeah. like be, beyond that, I'd be like, where to get an abortion in Seattle. And I'm in C I'm so lucky to be in Seattle right? in state. So I know that access wouldn't be that complicated, but just those, like those initial steps when you're already in this place of emotional yes. turmoil and trauma to have to navigate like, okay. And like, is this an insurance thing? Is this an out of pocket thing? Yeah. Who, where do I go? Are they going to be nice to your point? Am I going to have to walk past protesters? Are people going to know why I'm there? Like just this cascade of questions and worries and anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. It's so messy and complex. And that's the biggest thing I learned going through it. I'm also the kind of learner who has to go through things to understand. Mm. (laughs) That's just always how I've been like, And so it makes sense that I would have to go through this to understand it. But I think anyone would, I mean, anyone in your audience is mostly moms. So, you know, it's like, you can't describe childbirth until you've been through it. You can't describe motherhood until you've been through it. You can guess and you can listen and hope, but abortion was just like that. Like I had no idea until I went through it. Yeah. What are some of the things that you learned that you could only learn by going through it? And some of that, you've talked a little bit about some of those very initial pieces, but what beyond that? Yeah, I just, the biggest thing I learned, you know, you can hear me hesitating because I'm like, is that the biggest thing? A big (laughs) thing I learned. (laughs) I, because I studied women's health, I went to midwifery school. I was in birth work for so long. And like I had said, I just checked the pro-choice box. I thought it would feel really empowering to make that choice. Like I thought as like a good feminist, I was supposed to feel really amazing about that. Mm. And the biggest thing I learned going through it myself was that, you know, research shows us that the number one feeling after abortion is relief. And I believe that, like, I believe that in my own experience and in all the people I talk to, but what's right below that? Like, what are the next five emotions? That's my question. And I didn't know that you could make a choice that was so right and so hard. Like, I mean, I'd obviously made other hard choices in my life, but nothing like this. And so feeling like shame, I mean, I felt it all. Shame, Mm -hmm. guilt, grief, regret for different pieces of the story. Like I had regret for not checking my IUD strings, which I couldn't even reach anyway. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that's what our brains do. I had shame for getting pregnant in the first place. Like my body should have known better. should have known I didn't want a baby. So it wasn't all the same flavors. We all have different flavors of those like feelings, the shame, the grief, the guilt, the regret. I just had no idea how 
complex it was to make the choice. And I don't think it is for everybody. Mm -hmm. Some people get pregnant and they know exactly what they want to do and they don't have an emotional roller coaster around it. But I also have a lot of clients who come to me and say, I had my first abortion and it was absolutely what I needed. I never looked back. I never thought about it. And then I became a mom and everything changed. I started thinking about that abortion in a new way, or I had a second abortion and everything changed. It felt really different. So yeah, it's just so deeply complex to move through it, even when it feels right. Right. One of the things I've been noticing as I follow different people's, as I read uh, different people sharing online is the need for us to let all of it be okay. I've seen people, of course, we've seen lots and lots of stories come up recently around women sharing how the process of having an abortion was traumatic and grieving. It was traumatic and something that like was just so fraught with so many really complicated emotions. And I've also seen some women say like, I had no regret. I only had relief. I'm so glad it was the best decision I ever made. Like, it's not something I think about every day. It's not something I revisit. I don't carry grief with. And that that can be okay too, that we totally, and I think that it's been interesting. I think that we want to put people in boxes and in categories, and we want to make certain people monsters for not feeling certain things, (laughs) like to create space for everyone's experience to be fine is really, really important. And a piece of the puzzle, I think that there was some thought and maybe belief, first of all, that every abortion is traumatic. And then also some thought that like, if you have chosen to end a pregnancy that you should carry like grief with you for the rest of your life. And that's not for us to decide. And that's not, if you're (laughs) pro-choice, you're letting a woman experience that in whatever way she's going to experience it. Yeah. You brought up a, like one of the layers of shame I had was for having no regret. Like I knew, like I had grief that I said goodbye to a pregnancy, but it was not like, I shouldn't have done that. Or I'm a terrible mother. So that was one of the flavors of shame I had. Like, I Mm -hmm. should feel worse about this. I'm a mom. I should feel terrible. And I didn't, I felt like it was hard and I felt grief that I went through it. And then I had to make the choice and that, you know, after you have three kids, I'm sure some people can, but for me, I couldn't call it like a fetus or an embryo because when I was six weeks pregnant with my kids, it was like, ah, baby. (laughs) Right. Like I could have just flip flop and suddenly it was no big deal. It was just tissue. So I really had to take on the ownership that I said no to a baby, like in my story, in my belief system, I didn't just say no to a clump of cells and tissue. Like for me, it was as much a baby as those other babies were who are now like my beautiful grown kids. Mm -hmm. So there was this, like one of the other things I learned going through it that I never could have, I'm sure there's situations, but I can't fathom anything that would teach me this lesson in such a way, which is that like, I understood my power in a whole new way. Like the power to give life, most of us know as moms like indescribable. Right. But there's the other side of that, which is the power to take away life and to say no. And that was so hard, but also like, if I can do that, like what else am I capable of in a way that feels aligned to me and loving Mm -hmm. and kind, right? Like, not like, what else can I say no to what else can I kill? Like, you know, it's like, I just understand my power in that level of discernment. I think. Yeah. I think we were talking before we started recording about abortion showed me like the more you feel, the more you feel. Right. And like the power of choosing not to bring life into the world was as expansive and like just cellularly changing as the power to decide to bring life Mm -hmm. into the world. It just, I guess it made me more of who I am. Like it just made me understand myself in a way that I, I can't imagine anything else. Like saying no to that, what I identified as a baby in my body. Mm -hmm. It was a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting point around feeling that expansiveness and acknowledging your power. And 
I am feeling this constriction. And I think a lot of women are the opposite of that. When we, so you talk about the power and that this expansiveness, and I'm assuming some of this comes from this just huge sense of autonomy and on various levels. And what is the feeling for you? What kind of, I'm going to assume you're feeling some constriction around this recent ruling with the Supreme court. And what is that? I'm curious what that feels like in comparison to have had that expansiveness and experience that, and then now be walking through what we're walking through as a country. Yeah. I think I understand your question. So I'll just start talking. And if I didn't just Please just start talking, <laughs> <laughs> I think the constriction we feel is resistance. And so like I made it a t-shirt once it's still on my website somewhere that says abortion happens. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like cancer happens, car accidents Mm -hmm. happen. Like we can't escape that reality in life. Right. Right. And so there's this level of acceptance around abortion that, and this level of acceptance of the darkness and the light of being human Mm -hmm. (laughs) that allows us to stay open and expanded And when we resist that reality that abortion is a part of life, like that's when we, or that how could they do this to us? Like when we restrict, when we resist that reality that like, this is how our government works. Like they can do this. Like this is the country we've been built on with white supremacists in power, like accepting that reality and then deciding who am I? How do I want to show up? is how we like use our power. And I think when we feel constricted, don't get me wrong, I've had immense amounts of rage and anger and defeat in the last few days, like massive amounts. And that's totally normal for all of us. It's just like, where do we act from? Do we act from a place of constriction or Mm -hmm. a place of acceptance that it is the reality? Now, who am I? How do I want to show up? Mm, Absolutely. You mentioned, or as you've been talking through your experience, one of the things that I think is really illuminating is that you were, you mentioned that you were already a mother of three, all those pregnancies were planned. There is this misconception. And in my mind, it's a misconception of old white men, but it's probably a misconception of many more people than just old white men Mm -hmm. that women who have abortions are young, single, not already moms, irresponsible, unethical, just like out there living wild, free lives. I've heard the statistic multiple times in the last week, and I was eager to talk to you about it because I did not know it until this ruling came down that 60% of women who have abortions are already moms. And when we look at that statistic, all of a sudden, in my mind, that really shifts, uh, not that it shifts in my mind, who's having abortions. Cause I knew that it was already <laughs> all sorts of people having abortions, but in my mind, I'm hoping that that shifts for people who wanted to pass judgment on those kinds of women. And I'm saying this in air quotes for people who can't see our video, that those kinds of women are a country full of moms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that statistic. And that was actually one of the most profound There's a few moments in my story that really stick out. And one for me was sitting in the parking lot of my obstetrician's office, like my regular women's health office and Googling. Like I said, I came from, like I literally went to midwifery school. I was a doula for many, many years. Like this was my life. And I Googled, do other moms have abortions? I had no idea. I didn't know the statistic. And I remember sitting in the parking lot and yeah, it's 60 to 65%. Like, I mean, all these statistics fluctuate, but it's not like 60 and below. It's like 60 and above. Mm -hmm. And I just remember being like, A, there was a piece of relief. Like I'm not alone, but I was also really angry. I was really angry to learn that because how could I feel so alone? Like, How did I make it 10 plus years into parenting and not know this? Like Mm. it just reiterated that piece of like, 
this deep, dark hole that is the world of abortion we don't talk about other than these binaries, like pro-choice, pro-life, like anti-abortion, pro-abortion. Right. Felt so real to me in that moment. I was like relieved and grateful that I wasn't alone. But then I was like, where the F is everybody? Why yeah. aren't they talking about this? <laughs> like you said, just knowing that statistic is it's a bit life-changing. Mm-hmm. Why haven't we been talking about it in all of our mothering? I've been trying to have this conversation on the podcast for almost six years. And here, here <gasps> we are. And I was actually thinking about this this morning as I was getting ready, that when I first started thinking about how to have this conversation on the show, probably it's been on my list. I mean, it's been like in the back of my mind for not the full six years, but for probably like four to five. And then for a couple of years, I was like, okay, like, how do I do this in a way that creates space for a woman to talk about this in a way that she feels like safe and protected. And, and in my mind, I was like, I could only do this if I could have someone come on anonymously, like, because I was like, no one talks about this. So how am I going to find someone to come on and be like, I had an abortion. Let me tell you all about it. So it's fascinating to me that in the last six months, all of a sudden people are talking about this. It reminds me so much of the Me Too movement that like all of a sudden people are like, oh yeah, I had one too. And I had one too. Mm-hmm. And I had one too. And, mm-hmm. and it's this like waterfall moment of women sharing their stories, which is an amazing and beautiful and really powerful thing. But so many, I mean, these stories all existed before six months ago and there wasn't a safe place or safe way or culturally acceptable way to talk about them which I find completely enraging. And so it's such an interesting thing to have kind of been trying to figure out how to have this conversation for so long. And now I'm like, I feel like moving forward, there will be no, I love no problem finding women who want to come forward and talk about their abortions. No, you will not. <laughs> It'll still be uncomfortable and painful and potentially traumatic for a woman to do that. But we're in this moment where women are like, oh yeah, I did that. That is a part of my life, has been a part of my life. This isn't something that we're just sitting in dark rooms alone dealing with. Yeah. I just want to add that, like, I think the voice I hope to add to the conversation is Mm. to tell your story. You don't have to to be resolved. You don't have Mm. to be like, it was the best thing I ever did, or it was the worst thing I ever did. Like, it doesn't have to be clear. Like, I think my entire body of work, I hope speaks to the truth that like, we can show up and just say, I had an abortion. It was all the things. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, you can imagine in my work, people call me a murderer and like a sinner and all the things that you killed your baby. And part of that acceptance I was talking about earlier is like, I don't fight that. And just like, I did, it was tragic. And because it was hard as a mom, it is the best decision I've ever made for my family, for myself, for the world. Like, My body of work didn't exist before I had a story. So we can show up and let it all be true. And when I react to people who have these super binary pro-life opinions, and I say like, you're right, I did kill my baby. They're speechless. Like they don't know how to look at me. Like they want me to fight back. They want me to defend myself. They want me to say it wasn't a fetus. It was a ball of tissue. Like, They don't want to know how we really feel, which is Mm. all the things. Right, right. Because all those like really extreme arguments, like abortion is like the best thing ever, or abortion is the worst thing ever. Those are the ones that get used against us. Yeah. When we show up with all of our truth, like it can't be used against us. Don't get me wrong. There are articles written about me that like, see, she's proof that abortion is sad and we need to save women from being sad. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> it's okay that we're sad about it. It's even okay if we have regret. Yeah. We regret about how many people on this, like listening right now have regret about a marriage or a move or a career. Like somehow when we have abortion regret, like the world has ended. Mm-hmm. It's just another layer of like growing into who we are. Yeah. We can show up with all of our story. And I just truly believe that that's how we change this conversation. 
What are some of the myths around abortion that you'd like to dispel? Well, you did one of them, which is, you know, who has them? That's a Mm -hmm. big one. You know, we just touched on another, which is like, it's one side or the other. And really it's just all the things. Like it's all relief Um, versus all regret. Yeah. Some myths around abortion. I'm like totally blanking. What are, I'm like, what are the myths around abortion? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just really think the biggest one. Are there any, are there any myths around? Well, yeah. And that was actually what I was going to dig into a bit. Are there any myths around like class and accessibility that you'd like to touch on? Well, there's a lot around class and accessibility. Well, I, know, I know. I'm like, I don't even know <laughs> like to myth. touch on. Do you want to just dig into that a bit? Um, yeah. I mean, if we just think about it, like it's so many layered, but we think of like uneducated, impoverished people of color as the ones who are are having abortions, right? Because they're not like, you know, pure and they're not smart and like all the shit. We, mm-hmm. Like they're not smart enough. <laughs> I'm going to get enough. feisty now, but it, we don't think that like our neighbors are the one having abortion. And I say our, because you and I are both like white women and I live in, I live in the country. It's very white. Like if I love raising my kids here, but like diversity problematic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so we're not talking about like the wealthy white men's partners and mistresses who are having abortions, right? The conversation immediately goes to our minds go to, you know, it's the uneducated, it's the poor, it's the, and like now with these laws, we're just pushing more and more challenge and struggle onto communities that are already oppressed because wealthy white women, they're always especially even wealthy white. I love when people think like, well, I'm, I'm Catholic. So I don't know anyone who's had an abortion. Yeah. Like not true. Right. Wealthy white women and wealthy white men's partners will always have access to care. We just will figure it out. It is heartbreaking what these laws are doing in this country. The devastation in terms of class is going to be so profound because what will happen is that people who already have limited resources will then be adding children to their families and have to make dire decisions on how to feed their babies and how to continue to survive. And so it's not about how are the wealthy white women in my neighborhood or yours going to continue to have abortions because they're going to continue to have abortions and they're always going to be able to find ways to have access, even if it's not legal in their state. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. I want to talk about something that we talked about at the beginning or before we started recording. A friend reached out to me yesterday and asked, Sarah, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to organize? What are we going to do? And she said, what's your action plan? (laughs) 
<laughs> and because she was like, I'm going to put together my action plan. What's your action plan going to be? And this is someone who I adore. And I, she reached out on Voxer. So I went to Voxer her back and I was like, yeah, I don't have an action plan. I'm tired. I've been doing that. And I'm not in this work at all to the level that you are, but I'm in the work of like supporting women and giving women power and elevating women's voices and giving women the tools that they need to be leaders and change makers and policy influencers and all these things. And so she was like, what are we going to do? And I was like, I don't plan to do anything different today than I did yesterday. But what I do expect to see is the people. And I also said like, I'm freaking tired. Like it's really defeating to be putting work that takes a lot of energy out into the world for years and years now, and then have policy like this change in this way. And so I was like, I'm not doing anything more because I don't have any more bandwidth. I've been using all my energy for the last six years since I had the podcast and definitely before that as well. But I know that there's a whole lot of men or a whole lot of people (laughs) and parenthetical note, men who what energy have they used towards this? Like it's their turn. And I would love to hear your thoughts on like, who should be really investing in this work right now and who should be stepping to the plate right now. Because I think that it is, I think those of us, so in your case, obviously, clearly that have been so specifically in the work of empowering women and creating space and empowering change and leadership. I don't think it's our, this isn't our moment. I think yeah. that this is someone else's moment, but I also don't want to be like, I'm just sitting down because I'm not. <laughs> I know. I know. I have all the thoughts. I'm like, well, what is my action plan? Be me. Like mm-hmm. that's my action plan. Be right. more of me. Keep expanding who I am. Keep expanding how I understand this work. I think sometimes we think we have to have these fancy plans and they're always about like hustle or action or like move fast. It's like, The most powerful thing we can do is to come back to center, understand our own mental well-being, live from our purpose and our truth, keep getting more and more aligned, keep being more and more aware, and like be more of who we really are, not who the world tells us we're supposed to be, not who our partners want us to be. I think what abortion does as an opportunity, and I see this in my clients, is it's just like so real and raw and deep that it shows you all of who you are. And Mm. that's like, sort of like that piece of power that I talked about earlier. Like, holy fuck. I have a lot of power. What am I going to do with it? Like, who am I? How do I want to use it? Yeah. And I do think part of the answer to your question is who should be speaking up. This is a little hard for me and a little touchy because my husband's not out there doing anything about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, he supports me immensely. I would not be here if I didn't have his encouragement and love and support. Like he is my backbone in this work in so many ways, but like, he's not the one speaking up about abortion. He's not the one donating money. I mean, I am for us, but he's not the one standing outside with a sign. So (laughs) Yes, men, <laughs> but I'm still working on that in my own house is my point. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and this is where like, because middle upper class white men have never had so much on the line. They don't understand what it feels like. And this doesn't need to be a whole conversation on bashing men. That's not the direction I'm going, but they don't know what it feels like to actually have to fight for something. And they don't know what it looks like. And they've probably never had to make an action plan. And yeah. so I think what is helpful I actually saw some, a couple of video clips from AOC talking and regardless of whether or not you like her or not, cause she can be really polarizing. She, I thought had some really good points around, like, first of all, she was like, chop, chop, what are you going to do? And when are you going to start? And I think there's a whole lot of people who have not chosen to t- when men and women in this, by the way, who have not chosen to take a stand on things and at any point in their life, maybe, but maybe especially in the last eight years or war, et cetera, as our climate has become so polarizing where they've just towed this line of like, I don't talk about politics. I don't talk about religion. I don't talk about these hard things. So I think the chop chop is like, if you have not started to learn how to use your voice, how's that working out for you? How do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about your power? How do you feel about like your place in the world? whether you're a man or a woman, 
And then the other piece of it is that it's not about like showing up tomorrow and like screaming at the top of your lungs. I really think it's about what is your long-term plan? And I thought AOC did a great job of talking about this. She's like anti-abortion. So the pro-life community for 50 years. Yeah. Have been working on this. They've been working on this for 50 years. So what's your 50 year plan? Yeah. This is not a, like, what are you going to do tomorrow or next week? It's what's your 50 year plan. So I'd love to challenge everyone listening. What is your 50 year plan to like get in the conversation and stay in the conversation, whether it's specifically about abortion or it is about leadership in your community in order to have a voice in order to empower other women to have voices in order to get more women sitting around tables, more women in policy, more women, just having safe places to speak up and connect any of those things. And any of us have the capability to do that. And I give tools in 660 some episodes on this podcast of how to do that. But I think that like, what's your 50 year plan is the bigger question here. And a 50 year plan doesn't need to be like a point by point plan as much as it's like a commitment, a plan to get in the conversation and a commitment to stay in the conversation. And with that is also action steps. Yeah. Yeah. I think the second part of answering your other question is who should be speaking up if should is a word we want to use anyone with privilege. Yeah. Race privilege, class privilege, religious privilege. I get that it's hard for you to talk about your story, but if you want to make a difference, heal your wounds, like Mm -hmm. do the work, come to peace, come to acceptance, come into your own power. Because if you have privilege, if we're going to use the word should, this is when you should be using it. Like I live in Massachusetts. I'm a white woman. I'm supported in a marriage, you know, in so many ways, like there are times I want to give up, but that's, that's not what I'm here for. Like I have the privilege to be able to speak my truth. And there are so many people probably listening who don't, it's literally dangerous for them to tell their truth. Right. So if you have any kind of privilege that lets you speak up, like kindly get over your own shit, hire the coaches, go to the therapy, do the work. I promise it will make you a better human. It's not just about abortion. Like doing the work will make you a better human. It's worth it. I know it's hard, but it's worth it. If you have privilege, you should be doing something with that. Something. And I, I do think it's also interesting. Like We know one in four women have at least one abortion. I don't know that statistic about men. What is that statistic about men? We know it's at least one in four, but I'm kind of wondering if it's more than that. Mm -hmm. Because they can impregnate multiple people a day. We can only have one pregnancy in 10 months. (laughs) Right. Sometimes usually a year. Like if this falls out the way it's looking like it's going to fall out, I think men are going to get a really big wake up call. Oh yeah. <laughs> because I was actually just reading about the economic implications for males in this whole thing, because you know how much child support men are going to be paying when all these women are forced to have babies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even because our legal system kind of sucks and the child support piece is going to be entirely problematic in another way. Oh yeah. Yeah. Their emotional well-being, mm-hmm. knowing that they were able to have a partner who got access to care versus knowing that they created a pregnancy without access to abortion. Like it's almost comical to think about It's terrifying as well. And, you know, (laughs) so I, the comical piece to me, I'm like, yeah, let all the mistresses, like the men of those women have to manage that, that piece. Like we can laugh about that, but then I think of like, which I understand is like not comical on all ends of the story, but comical for that man who now is having to deal with the whole shit storm. The not comical piece is the black man in Tennessee who now is, has all of these children to care for or to be responsible for. And as, and his partners are all going to have to be responsible as well, his sexual partners. And what does that look like in terms of continued oppression? That yeah. the, so the systems, it's not just going to be keeping down women of color, which it no. definitely will be, no. but it's also going to be perpetuating, you know, everything that we see when we look at what is already, how the odds are already stacked against men of color yeah. as well, yeah. especially in Southern states. Mess. And they just don't, I don't think men have any idea how much power they've been yielding. Like mm-hmm. 
you know, we don't need a condom. It just feels better without Mm -hmm. like, okay. Does it also feel better when you have to take care of the child that comes? Right. (laughs) I mean, there's just like so many pieces that are, yeah, it's, it's like lifelong work. (laughs) Lifelong work. Oh my goodness. Okay. We're at time. I have a million more questions I want to ask. (laughs) So can you tell us how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom? Yeah. I mean, we talked about a little bit. This was the only note I took before our call. And one piece was I used to have shame for my privilege. You know, like I had shame that I was white. I had shame that I, you know, lived in a a blue state that I had supportive parents and right. I used to have shame for my privilege and now I accept it as my truth and use it for good. The other note I took was I used to have shame for being a working mom because I was a stay-at-home mom for many, many, many years. And I like deeply wholeheartedly believed in that. And now I've released that shame and it is a source of power and guidance and like part of how I'm a mom. Those two really stuck out to me when I read that question, but the number one place I'm a shameless mom is around my abortion. And that's because I showed up and kept doing the work and refused to let it take me down. And that's pretty cool. The the number one place that I am completely shameless is around my abortion. I love ending with that. And I want to just point out that we have, and you talk about expansiveness, and I love that that came up a couple of times when we look at the hardest decisions that we'll make, even if we feel that very strongly and clearly that we know that the decision it's the right decision. When we look at the hardest decisions that we're going to make, and then we walk through those decisions and we navigate the feelings and the layers and the complexities of those decisions, we always get to choose like, where do we go from here? And I think that there is so much incredible power by deciding that I'm going to do something with this experience. And I think that you were really clear on that. And I'm so grateful that you decided to share your story and to speak up and to continue to build a platform around your story and to normalize conversations around abortion and just do all the work that you're doing. I think that when, before we started recording, we both, you talked a little bit about, um, feeling hope. And I think that one of the things I see happening right now, when we look at hope, it's like, yeah, we didn't want to be here. But when we look at how women are stepping up, showing up, standing up, speaking up and doing all these things, like that gives me tremendous hope because we are finding power in conversations and power in owning our stories and power in showing up in community in different ways that I think absolutely will change the course of history. Yeah. And I just think how messed up things were is being exposed in such a totally right, bright way that people can't not, people can't pretend it's not happening because what's happening right now is so ugly. Like you can't pretend that it's not problematic anymore. That option is out the window. So everything's on the table right now and we can choose to make something of that. Yeah. Amanda, where can people find your resources, (laughs) follow you, listen to your podcast, all the good stuff, like promote, promote, promote. (laughs) Yeah. All the goodies. It's pretty easy. Amanda star Kingsley everywhere. S T A R is actually my middle name. So that's me. I mostly show up in Instagram. Um, my podcast is called speaking light into abortion. I wrote a book. It's called what I wish it's a hundred love notes, things I wish I heard after abortion. You can get that anywhere globally, mostly. Um, Yeah, I'm really easy to find. There are not many people talking about abortion. So if you just Google Amanda abortion, you will find lots of my resources. (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm like... Is anyone at any point in their life, like when you Google my name plus abortion, like you'll just find me. (laughs) It's, I mean, if someone says to me someday, I couldn't find you, I'll be utterly confused. Yeah. Yeah, It's not hard. I think that it's important that we're in these heavy moments and heavy conversations that we can find this, these kinds of moments of levity where you're like, yeah, that's where you can find me. Amanda abortion. There I am. And that's what it is working with my clients. It's tears and laughter and all the things. Mm. Oh my goodness. Amanda, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing and thank you for adding just so much to the conversation around abortion. And I also want to thank you for the work that is for showing up in the work that's going to continue to come your way, because I'm imagining that a lot of doors are going to open, but with that comes a lot of like, well, why wasn't this here before? Why weren't people listening before (laughs) just pressure and demands on your time and energy. So thank you for 
being a guiding light as you speak light into abortion. It's what you're doing is a really, really big deal and very much needed. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.